Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're speaking with board certified rheumatologist Dr. Robert Goodman of the Arthritis and Rheumatology Clinic in Shreveport. We're going to be talking today about fibromyalgia. And before we get started, Dr. Goodman will give an overview of fibromyalgia for the first 10 minutes of the simulcast. And following that, you can call us with any questions you have related to this condition and you can talk directly to Dr. Goodman. Now throughout the show, we'll have the calling number 318-219-4569. Hello, Dr. Goodman, thanks for being here. Glad to be here, Terry. <laughs> Let's start off in case someone didn't see us speaking earlier. What exactly is fibromyalgia? Well, fibromyalgia, Terry, is a type of uh, musculoskeletal pain that is a widespread pain both above and below the waist uh, on both the right and the left side that has been going on for uh, several months, uh, usually three months or longer. Um, fibromyalgia uh, was at first thought to be an inflammatory type of pain, and, and in the middle part of the 20th century, it was called fibrositis. In medicine, the suffix ITIS on the end of a medical word implies that the pathology of the disease is an inflammatory pathology. Uh, but fibromyalgia turned out not to be an inflammatory uh, type of disease, but a pain gateway type of disease. Uh, you and I have talked about other diseases, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, which are classic inflammatory diseases. And um, the treatment for those uh, diseases or anti-inflammatory medicines may be in a very general way, like an anti-inflammatory like aspirin or ibuprofen, or a very, very precise way to treat, say, rheumatoid arthritis by blocking a chemical called um, interleukin or another chemical called interleukin-6. And those are uh, interfering with the inflammatory pathway. Fibromyalgia, like phantom pain, like the pain after uh, a person has the chickenpox virus affecting their nerve, or like the pain that uh, some diabetics get after they've had diabetes for several years that is called diabetic neuropathy, those seem to be neuropathic or neurologic type pains. And the, the, the most graphic is phantom pain. It's so interesting to, to correlate that, and you always give us such a good visual and, and really narrow it down for us. And so we hear about this term a lot, and we hear a lot about women having it. So it's more women than men. Who typically gets fibromyalgia, and do we know why? Well, uh, fibromyalgia tends to uh, certainly be more women than men, and in some of the early ways that doctors diagnosed fibromyalgia, they would use um, uh, a number of tender points. Um, and this was the 1990 criteria for uh, fibromyalgia that was um, uh, uh, put forward by the American College of Rheumatology. But as research through uh, uh, the later, uh, you know, the early part of the 21st century seemed to suggest that that tender point exam overestimated the number of women that had fibromyalgia and underestimated the number of men to have fibromyalgia. So the thinking used to be that maybe women had fibromyalgia 10 times more than men. It's now probably uh, one and a half or two times more women than men have fibromyalgia. And in general, you told me earlier that it's it's fairly common. What was the number that you told us of people? It, it could be it? it could be five percent of our population, which would be fifteen million people. Mm -hmm. And and there's different causes. Different it. causes. So a lot of times, the it is idiopathic, means mm. we don't identify what is causing fibromyalgia. But fibromyalgia is more frequent in people that have inflammatory diseases. Uh, they, it's more frequent in people that have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, uh, many researchers note that 
people with rheumatoid arthritis, they get all their inflammatory part of their disease taken care of, but they still have some leftover pain. And that leftover pain uh, may be fibromyalgia. And about 30% of people with rheumatoid arthritis will also have uh, this uh, fibromyalgia. And, uh, and I was uh, kind of joking with other uh, healthcare uh, providers that they call it, fi they have some degree of fibromyalgianist. Um, that is um, about 30% of people with lupus and 30% of people with rheumatoid arthritis will also have fibromyalgia as a component of causing them their symptoms. And so we treat all the inflammatory parts, but we still have this other part that we need to help the patient with, and that part is fibromyalgia. It also occurs more frequently in people who have sleep disorders. In the classic sleep disorder, is, um, uh, is sleep apnea. And in sleep apnea, people, uh, when they go into their deepest stages of sleep, they get obstruction of their airways, and so they have their sleep interrupted, and those people tend to get fibromyalgia as well. And men uh, who have sleep apnea also tend to get fibromyalgia. So uh, a lot of times, women, uh, we used to think a lot more than men, but, but just a little bit more than men. Um, people that have rheumatoid arthritis, people that have lupus, uh, people that have psoriatic arthritis, and people that have sleep apnea all may have um, uh, fibromyalgia. Wow, sleep apnea, that's an interesting correlation. I've never heard that before. That's really interesting. And it, it seems to be tied in with depriving ourselves of the most restorative sleep. Uh, uh, that um, has been a long observation uh, in researchers for about 40 years in studying fibromyalgia. Yeah, that's a really good tie-in because once again we're talking about how beneficial sleep is and rest. Truly resting when you sleep. Try to get really intentional rest when you sleep. How it, it helps with so many different conditions in your body. And Terry, uh, you know, I would explain that, that People, you know, if you have a toddler and that toddler is in a shallow sta stage of sleep and they're laying on the couch and you're trying to move them to the bed, their eyes may be looking at what they're dreaming at. And so if you look at behind, you know, their eyes are closed, but you see their pupils moving behind their eyes and that is, you know that that child is in rapid eye movement or REM sleep. And those children will be in a shallower stage of sleep. And if a few moments later that toddler is sleeping on the couch and they're just uh, like a rag doll, <laughs> loose and limp, and there's drool coming out of the side of their mouth, that child is in a deeper stage of sleep, in a stage of stage four deep sleep. It turns out that in lots of different studies, if people are deprived of that stage four deep sleep, by an experimenter who wakes them up or because they have a condition, sleep apnea, that every time they go into that deepest stage of sleep where their muscles are really relaxed, one of their muscles, their tongue, and some of the other muscles around their upper airway falls into the airway, obstructs the airway, causes them to stop breathing, have obstructive sleep apnea, and those people oftentimes we'll get fibromyalgia as well. So it's a lot of different ways that you can get fibromyalgia. Really interesting. And for someone watching right now and they're wondering, are there specific symptoms? If someone is kind of wondering, gosh, I wonder if I do have that. Are there specific things to look for? We talked about some of the well, symptoms. But. Well, well, some of the symptoms, the classic symptoms have been widespread pain both above and below the waist on both the right and the left side of the body. Uh, that 
is an older uh, definition. Um, it has been modified a little bit, but it still helps uh, with that kind of um, uh, uh, observation. And then in the uh, olden days, <laughs> people <laughs> would, would check tender points of fibromyalgia, and there were, uh, if a person had a large number of tender points, that would be consistent with fibromyalgia. But newer diagnostic criteria for fibromyalgia have gotten away from that tender point exam as much, um, but it's generally those people that have that widespread pain. Some of those people will also have rheumatoid arthritis. Some of those people will also have lupus. But um, we now are in a position where we can almost make rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, dare I use the word, in remission. And so the, the, rheumatoid, the inflammatory process of rheumatoid arthritis or the inflammatory process of lupus can be taken care of with the modern medicines that we have today that you and I have talked about in other segments, but there's still that pain left over, and that pain um, is a neuropathic pain. It is similar to the pain of, that somebody might have if they had phantom pain. Um, uh, their, their limb is not inflamed because they've lost their limb in um, Afghanistan stepping on a landmine or sure. in, the, in uh, Iraq, and, but they still have pain where the limb used to be. That is a form of neurologic or neuropathic pain. If people had the chickenpox virus, shingles, living, um, growing in their nerves, maybe in February of this year, and now the chickenpox virus, the shingles has resolved, but they still have pain after shingles that is called post-herpetic neuralgia, that is a form of neuropathic pain as well. Um, if a person has had diabetes for 10 or 15 or 20 years, the little capillaries to their uh, fingers and toes will decrease. And instead of maybe having 10 capillaries to a square millimeter of tissue, they have six capillaries to that square millimeter of tissue. And so the diabetes doctor would say they have a relative decrease in blood flow there, or, the di uh, or uh, we would say they have a relative ischemia. Well, those nerves are not getting enough blood flow, so those nerves have a neurologic or a neuropathic pain as well, which is diabetic neuropathy. So insight into diabetic neuropathy, insight into uh, the pain after shingles called post-herpetic neuralgia, and insight into the pain of phantom pain has led to insight into another neuropathic pain syndrome, fibromyalgia. God, it's so interesting, and once again, something else we talk about, an organ or a part of the body, the nerves have so many jobs and so many things that they tell us and so many things that we can watch out for. And we talk about fibromyalgia being really um, debilitating. Um, what kind of an impact does having fibromyalgia have on your daily life? Well, well, not only does it um, uh, have uh, people having pain and they are uh, reluctant to get out and move and yeah. be active, but it also can cause a great deal of fatigue. Uh, and this fatigue can be just overwhelming. And, and so people can just be staying at home and not wanting to go to work. It can cause uh, something that the, the people that suffer from it call fibro fog, in which they just feel like I'm not thinking clearly. Why am I uh, just not um, as sharp as I thought I was uh, last month or last year? And that fibro fog, that, um, uh, as well as fatigue, can be a, a additional parts of this condition rather than just the pain alone. Okay. Yeah, and also 
how, if someone is also watching, I'm just putting all these things together, someone hearing that, well, it's kind of foggy, I'm foggier this month than I was last month, and we have someone listening who really wants to know, uh, and they do call you because they have some of these symptoms, they come to see someone, um, how is it diagnosed? What, do, what does that look like when they come and talk to you about it? What's next? Well, usually uh, we're trying to see if they uh, do have fibromyalgia and uh, and uh, looking for that widespread pain. We might be looking for other autoimmune disease, autoimmune diseases. We might be looking for the wear and tear type of arthritis, uh, of osteoarthritis. But the diagnosis of fibromyalgia is still mainly a clinical one. Maybe talk talking with the, the doctor and the patient, talking with each other, doing uh, a physical exam to rule out other diseases, um, uh, doing x-rays to, to look for other musculoskeletal uh, problems as well, maybe x-rays and uh, uh, lab tests that are looking for diseases like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis. And then, um, uh, then if you have that widespread pain that doesn't seem to be responding to anti-inflammatory markers or anti-inflammatory treatments, maybe that pain might respond to neurologic or neuropathic medications to get the person to the optimum state of health. Okay, good to know. And we also have your first caller, All Gladys. Right. Thank you for calling. What's your question for Dr. Goodman? I'm asking the main symptom of fibromyalgia. The, the main symptoms of fibromyalgia tend to be that widespread pain. With arthritis, oftentimes the person points right to the joint. But with fibromyalgia, they might point, might say it's more in the soft tissues, the, like, and they'll point to the muscles of the shoulders, the muscles of the back and hips, uh, the muscles of the upper arm and the muscles of the neck. Uh, so uh, a little bit different, uh, the description, uh, a lot of times the person that has specific arthritis, if they have gout, they're going to point right to their big toe. If they have fibromyalgia, it's going to be more of a diffuse type of pain. And what is the treatment for it? Well, thanks for asking that. The treatment for it um, is uh, to, to rule out the um, other diseases, to try to identify those other diseases, but we um, uh, borrow treatments uh, for um, the diabetic neuropathy and we borrow treatments for uh, the pain after shingles called post-herpetic neuralgia. And those are neurologic pain medications. The first medicine that was used to treat fibromyalgia is, uh, was called Lyrica, and now it's called Pregabalin. It went generic uh, about uh, three years ago, um, and it works in a neuropathic pain gateway uh, mechanism of action. It uh, 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 works on the GABA pathway of pain. Uh, some other medications that are used to treat fibromyalgia that have been approved by the FDA is what I'm talking about now or medicines that uh, increase norepinephrine in our uh, brain and our uh, nervous system. Norepinephrine uh, allows us to ignore uh, minor aches and pains. Uh, Terry and I are sitting here and we're alert and trying to answer your questions. Uh, and so we have a little bit of adrenaline or epinephrine and a little bit of norepinephrine uh, to perform better uh, in front of the camera. Uh, that might be uh, a person that has a little bit of sweaty palms, a little bit of butterflies in their stomach. And that says that your body or our bodies are secreting a chemical called norepinephrine and another chemical 
called epinephrine or adrenaline. Those chemicals allow us to ignore minor aches and pains. Those chemicals, if you have a bride who is wearing some high heel shoes that hurt her feet um, in the first part of the uh, bridal party and in the reception, she's wearing her high heels and the bridal party is wearing their high heels. But after the second or third dance, uh, they want to slip off their shoes because they're having pain, a neuropathic pain breaking through because that norepinephrine pathway is being diminished. Well, doctors use the norepinephrine pathway with medications, a medication that used to be called Cymbalta, called Deloxetine, and another medication called Civella, increase norepinephrine in our bodies and try to help the people with fibromyalgia. So, um, medications, uh, some uh, Lyrica, uh, Cymbalta and Civella, uh, but also uh, uh, getting in good aerobic conditioning, um, uh, exercise, low impact aerobics is very, very helpful. Uh, other uh, things are oftentimes weight loss can be important, especially if a person has sleep apnea. Um, if uh, people uh, have fibromyalgia and they develop it as an adolescent or a young adult, the, a lot of times a gluten-free diet can be very helpful as well. Having a normal amount of vitamin D is also important. And then we would uh, go to those um, medications that I've alluded to. We don't have a perfect answer yet though, um, but these medications take us to the next level. Did you say Cymbalta was one of the pain medicines? Yes, uh, Cymbalta uh, is, is one of those. It's also known as Deloxetine. Cymbalta was first indicated um, by the Food and Drug Administration for depression and anxiety in approximately 2003. In 2008, Cymbalta was approved for fibromyalgia. In 2010, Cymbalta was approved for osteoarthritis in the neck and osteoarthritis in the back when it causes diffuse neck and back pain. And, and people are saying, wait a minute, you're saying an antidepressant later got approved for a neurologic pain condition called fibromyalgia and later got approved for a musculoskeletal wear and tear type of arthritis known as osteoarthritis. I'm saying yes, duloxetine, Cymbalta got approved for all three of those indications. In 2013, Cymbalta went generic, and the generic name is uh, Deloxetine. So, um, Lyrica uh, was approved for fibromyalgia, and it had first been approved for diabetic neuropathy, the pain after shingles and phantom pain, then it got approved for fibromyalgia. Cymbalta first got approved for depression uh, and anxiety, then it got approved for fibromyalgia, and later for osteoarthritis. A a third medicine called Civella had been approved for depression in Europe, but when it entered the U.S. market, it only went after the fibromyalgia indication. I think the business uh, people in uh, bringing that uh, third medicine, Civella, to market saw that the depression market in the United States was very crowded, so they just went after the fibromyalgia market, and that's just my summary of, of uh, their business decisions. I don't know that for sure. But I hope that's one helpful. More, yes, did you? One more question. Is body stiffness associated with the fibromyalgia? 
It is. Uh, stiffness is associated with fibromyalgia. Um, stiffness is more classically associated with inflammatory conditions. A lot of times the person who has, say, rheumatoid arthritis uh, or another condition that causes stiffness at the back called ankylosing spondylitis will have stiffness that will last an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. The person that has fibromyalgia will also describe stiffness, but usually their stiffness is 15 or 20 minutes, and it tends to get better if they take a warm shower, and it tends to get better when they start moving around a little bit. It's been very helpful. Thank you very much, doctor. Well, thank you for your call, and I hope, um, and your call, I think, prompted uh, maybe some uh, explanation that will help other viewers as well. But thanks for the call. Thank you so much, Gladys. And that's just another point. I love that, that we can talk this extensively. And you're right. All the viewers' questions answer something someone else wants, which probably prompted our next caller, okay, Cheryl. And there's Cheryl. Hi, Hello, Cheryl. Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, how are you all? Good. Hi. <laughs> yes, Dr. Goodman. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia about 20 to 25 years by you. Okay. Um, and we might have called it fibrositis at one point, uh, and then later they called it fibromyalgia. 20 to 25 years ago, n these medicines that I've just talked about had not been approved uh, yet for uh, anything. They were not, uh, had not been approved by the FDA. 25 years ago, uh, we would use a medicine called amitriptyline um, that was an old medicine in the depression family called the tricyclic antidepressants. I use um, and we also would use muscle relaxers. Some of the muscle relaxers that were available 25 years ago were medicines like Flexeril and Norflex. Um, and those medicines uh, were uh, later adopted for fibromyalgia because um, uh, the term orphan disease means the Food and Drug Administration has not approved any medications for that disease yet. And so fibromyalgia was, Terry, a very common orphan disease mm -hmm. until 2007 when Lyrica got approved to right. be the first medicine uh, approved for fibromyalgia. Lyrica was brought to market for the pain of diabetes and the pain after shingles and phantom pain and then Pfizer Pharmaceutical uh, was uh, good enough to go after the fibromyalgia market and get it approved for fibromyalgia about four years later. So interesting to see okay, how much things have progressed. Did you have another question? Okay, um, yes, I did try all those meds that you were talking about in the past. I was allergic, now I'm allergic to the Cymbalta and the Lyrica. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just on gabapentin right now, but it's not really helping. Yeah. So it, um, how long does um, the fibromyalgia last? Is that for life? Uh, some people have it for decades, like you uh, seem to be having symptoms of it. It is possible to consider that third medication that is called Savella, S-A-V-E-L-L-A. Savella 
has not yet gone generic uh, as the other two have. So it tends to be more pricey, but uh, when I try to prescribe it for patients, if they go on, go on GoodRx and other uh, ways to save money, and they can go online to SavellaCoupon.com and get coupons and get uh, a price break on that medication. So Savella could be an option, um, and other uh, less traditional options uh, are out there for you uh, that might be helpful. But healthy lifestyle, exercise, getting to a good healthy weight, making sure your vitamin D level is, uh, is in a good range. And some people, um, though it's not an inflammatory condition, uh, having a low inflammatory diet, maybe a Mediterranean diet, and in teenagers and young adults, um, uh, sometimes a gluten-free diet can be very helpful in, in fibromyalgia. Can you spell that word, Savella uh, again, please? S-A-V-E-L-L-A, Savella, and it uh, is, uh, can be prescribed. The only indication in the United States for Savella is fibromyalgia. Uh, it came out in 2009. I wouldn't be surprised if it might go to generic pretty soon, but I don't know exactly uh, the time frame uh, that that might happen. You say S-A-L. Uh, S-A-V-E, like save, somebody named Ella, E-L-L-A, S-A-V-E-L-L-A. You know, a mnemonic is save Ella, save somebody named Ella from fibromyalgia. Go online and look it up. And But again, we don't have any, we don't have a perfect answer for all of the diseases that Terry and I talk about. Last month we talked about lupus, uh, and the month before that we probably talked about um, rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis. We have better tools to treat those diseases. We have kind of okay tools to treat fibromyalgia. I'm hoping for better tools to treat it, better medications and better ways of, um, of helping uh, patients with fibromyalgia. It's still a very frustrating disease for both patients and doctors, um, and uh, uh, a lot of times doctors are reluctant to dive into this condition, but uh, I, I feel it's a, it's, there's a need out there to help patients with fibromyalgia. Yes, I was also diagnosed by you with osteoarthritis. Um, is there uh, medication for that? Osteoarthritis um, is the wear and tear arthritis for our other viewers. It's the most common uh, musculoskeletal problem. Uh, it's when somebody gets an injury, maybe a, a football player in high school gets an injury and um, yes. uh, 10 or 12 or 15 years later, they have wear and tear arthritis on that knee that they were injured in high school. Or, um, and, and so that's um, uh, also if somebody has uh, wear and tear on the discs then in their neck and the discs in their back, they can get pinched nerves from osteoarthritis. Um, osteoarthritis okay. is traditionally treated with the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. A lot of times if a joint is completely de deformed and destroyed, um, uh, the orthopedic surgeon might replace that joint like a hip joint or a knee joint with a, a joint replacement. Oftentimes the orthopedic surgeons uh, and neurosurgeons might might be looking if there's a nerve that's being badly pinched by disc material or by bone spurs, the, the orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons would be uh, operating to relieve that pinching, to relieve that narrowing, and um, the, the term stenosis or spinal stenosis is a complication of osteoarthritis. Um, it's, the, it's the most common type. Um, and Cymbalta or Deloxetine, as I mentioned earlier, 
is indicated for both depression as well as fibromyalgia as well as some uh, types of osteoarthritis. But I hope that's helpful to you. Thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for calling and best of everything to you. And also while we're on the subject, someone, if they want, they're watching and they'd like to call you and come see you about something, they don't need a referral from another doctor. They can just call you directly. To That's correct. Department, That's right? correct. Okay. Most people's insurance don't require okay. uh, a referral okay. uh, to a rheumatologist anymore. Um, and they can get in touch with me or my office. My office is at area code 318-424-9240. That's 424 9240. Um, I'm on the uh, internet uh, at arthdoc.com and on Facebook at Facebook forward slash arthdoc. Okay, and where is your office located? You want My to get office that out? is um, 740 Jordan here in Shreveport, pretty close to the interstate uh, intersection of I-20 and I-49, right in the middle of downtown. Okay, and so this fibromyalgia seems to be pretty misunderstood sometimes. So I'm glad that we've talked today to kind of bust that myth about it. It's, it's really real, and someone who has it needs to be taken seriously. That's right. They need to be taken seriously. They don't need to be told it's all in their head yeah. uh, or just lose weight and get out of my office. That uh, I, I think that's a disservice to those patients. We do have some tools. They're not as good as we have in rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis and lupus, so, but um, uh, we can try to help those patients with a good attitude and, and, and hopefully help them get to a better state of health. And hopefully some new medications will come along uh, fairly, in fairly short order. Okay, and just to quickly tell someone too, since we are talking about taking it seriously, what are the, can we kind of generally run through the risk factors of having this? The risk factors of having fibromyalgia tends to be uh, people who uh, maybe have other autoimmune diseases or other autoimmune diseases like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and psoriatic arthritis. For men, a risk factor is uh, sleep apnea. For some people, it's uh, having old trauma in the past, um, both physical trauma and psychological trauma. Uh, depression may uh, be a risk factor as well in, co in contributing to people that have fibromyalgia. But we can, we can still work on uh, patients with fibromyalgia. We don't have all the answers, but we have more answers than we used to. Definitely, definitely. And if someone is wondering about this, and either way, if they're just uncomfortable and any of this kind of resonates, feel free to call you. There's no, no silly visits when they come to see the doctor. That's right. There's no silly visits, yeah. and um, we need to address this condition. It, it, it impacts a lot of people in the Arklatex and nationwide. All right, thank you so much for being here again. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Dr. Goodman. Thank you. <laughs> and everyone, thank you again for watching and listening in. Have a good day. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3.